0: Hi, welcome to Two Towns Over. This show was made possible by our patrons, so if you would like to support us, we're at patreon.com slash twotownsover. If you can't afford monetary donations, we are also at facebook.com pod And If you would share us around and give us five-star ratings on whatever podcast you're into, we would greatly appreciate it. Uh, thanks for listening. Enjoy the show.
1: living in the 80s taught me anything, if it's bad, it must be Satan.
0: Like if you post it, I might comment. Like, <laughs>
1: I, yeah, I looked into starting uh, to working on starting a merch store, and no, I don't. I don't no. have. The, I don't have the patience to do that. I'm, I'm gonna have to go to Fiverr or something and
2: get someone else. Get to do somebody it. else yeah. to
1: do it because I just I don't have the no.
2: That's the cool thing about Fiverr though is like you literally just have a a wealth of people who have different skills than you, and you can just. Give them money to use their skills
1: for yeah. you. Yeah, the cat is yelling at you. I hear him. He do be screaming. They do be screaming. All right. So, welcome everybody to Satanic Sundays. Yes, we're still in this slog. And, uh. Oh, shit. Fuck. God damn it. What? We're doing more West Memphis. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's the never ending. It's.
2: Because we usually do the midweek first. Yeah. And so. I, I come in with the shit that Don found interesting type of energy, and it, it's still, even though we've been doing this for weeks, it throws me off. Because yeah. I come in with that, that fun, happy-go-lucky, silly story energy, and then you reveal that you have pressed record, <laughs> and I, I remember that... Uh, uh, we're going to be mad. Yeah. And you
1: remember that God has forsaken us. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why it's Satanic Sundays. So, welcome everybody to Two Towns Over. I am Don. I'm like a... I exist. There you go. <laughs> I think. Hmm. I am... Puppy Monkey Baby?
2: Fuck. That's good. That's good.
1: That's that good. is good. That's
2: good. Yeah, it's, I'm, I'm Josh, a.k.a. Puppy Monkey Baby. There you go i'm Ruben, Thanks, aka
0: what's huggy wuggy huggy huggy wuggy you do what? know i didn't make that up what's this?
2: yeah fucking no, i know i know it's from the fucking mcdonald's, mean, or not bear? McDonald's. Huggie,
0: no the, the the horror game one the blue dangly boy you know what i'm it's talking wub- about Wubsy or
2: something like Fuck. that no that's a bear i feel like oh, no you're thinking of fuzzy wuzzy who
0: was a bear shit yeah
1: he fuzzy had no hair. He wasn't very fuzzy, was he?
0: I guess I'm Fuzzy Wuzzy today. <laughs> <There you go. laughs> All well,
2: right, Pu- Puppy Monkey Baby, that was a Mountain Dew commercial, yes, right? that's yeah. correct.
0: Now, here's the thing. I'm t- God damn it, now I can't remember the name of it. It's Poppy's Playtime. It's a horror one. Yeah, I, it's, I know what you're talking it's about. It's the blue boy, the main one. Yeah, that Poppy. everybody knows. No, Poppy is the bad guy, or maybe not. Who knows yet? Huggy, fuck him. I don't care. High
1: fivey, whoever the fuck he is. So here's the thing. In order to move on with our lives, uh huh, I am going to, we're going to do Jesse's trial today. Okay. And we're going to finish today. So next week we can do Damien and Jason. Okay. So that means no matter how long this episode is, we're going to finish this story today. All right. That, that All means
2: right. we have to be good. We have well, to be good little podcasts. You don't have
1: to be good. Just know that I no matter die. no <laughs> matter how you how pissed you guys get, I am going to continue poking at that All raw right. nerve. You're going to continue poking the piss. You do what you, to you to do, got to do, do. All right. So when we last left off, the trial of Jesse Miss Kelly was underway. Dan Stidham, head defense lawyer for Jesse, expected that the trial was going to be a bitter fight. The closest thing to a hero that the story currently has. Yes. He had fought unsuccessfully to keep Jesse's confession out of the trial with his request being overruled. He knew that it was going to be a tough defense. Now, despite the fact that John Fogelman lead prosecutor had very little corroborating evidence to back Jesse's confession. What you just do what you do. I'm making sure me and Josh don't die. (laughs) His confession alone was a formidable hurdle to overcome.
0: It's a picture of Thoth, the Egyptian God who created their alphabet Okay. And it just is a tweet that says designing an alphabet is fucking hard way.
1: Like it's <laughs> it's weird. So Stidham knew that for Jesse to have a chance, any chance at an acquittal, Stidham would have to poke holes into Jesse's statement and weaken the jury's trust in it. God, he was really like playing lawyer on hard mode. Yes. With this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This was the dark souls of lawyering. Damn. <laughs> We
2: don't say that things are the dark souls of things anymore, but yeah, you're right. It was the dark souls of lawyering. <laughs> what okay, do we it say it is the now? The Elden Rings. No, no, no. We don't say that either. It's just cringe to do that
1: now. Oh. No. Oh, that's stupid. I'm 48 years old. I can be cringe. I was you're say, right. You're right. You're right. I I've earned that fucking right. <laughs> you you, you, you I'm 30. have
2: you have level, leveled up enough to <laughs> get the perk where you're allowed to be cringe whenever you want, exactly. without repercussion. I'm so sorry. That's I'm all right. Thirty and neurodivergent. So same, I think.
1: <laughs> <laughs> So during the trial, the victims' families sat in the courtroom silently. You you, you min maxed to get to yeah faster. <laughs> Fuck! <laughs> I chose. I went or I went for the skill tree specifically for that set of skills. So, uh. Pam Hobbs, the mother of Stevie Branch, said that sometimes I have to hold myself back, admitting that she wanted to jump at all of the defendants. Another spectator in the room was overheard saying, "We all know he's guilty. They ought to just fry him and get it over with." So very very impartial. I hope, I hope all of the, I hope everybody in this story, except for these
0: three boys, and Stidham, and their lawyers, I guess, mm, just Stidham, M- okay. And also the parents of the murdered boys. Only those people get to live and die well. The other people, I hope you die horribly, <laughs> like like yeah. really. Aside I hope from- you live like a full life and
1: then die. Terribly.
2: There's like one parent who still says that they did it, right?
1: That, I, we've covered that. I Technically, think. there's four. There's the two parents of Michael Moore, uh-huh. Terry Hobbs, the stepfather of Stevie Branch, uh-huh. and Stephen Branch, the father of Stevie Branch. They still to this they day still believe, to this believe day. that the, the, the West say, Memphis Three did it. Well, they say the West We'll get to Terry Hobbs, but
2: I think... I, it's, I did see a minor
0: spoiler. Yeah. Uh, I think I said this before, but I'll say it again just for posterity this late into the series like i'm not gonna shit on the parents at all for that because they don't well if they if if that one deserves it i heard the word stepdad and also dad so one of them might be a bad guy but uh, you know contentious marriages and such but like Uh i like for the parent the you know the, the couple and whoever like they have to believe it you know what i'm saying they have to or else they can't move. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like that's. I don't have any. You know what I mean. If you have to believe a thing to keep moving, as long as the thing that you believe is not really is not hurting another person, like now that the uh, men now are out of prison, you know. Spoiler alert: we've said that four times yeah. or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Now that they are out of prison and hopefully able to go do what they want to do in their lives, the parents still believing that they did it doesn't affect them if they don't contact
1: them you know what i right. mean like you know do what you do do what you have to do to survive basically yeah. so fogelman presented his opening statement in a deep slow southern drawl. he proceeded to recount the events of the previous may how the three boys had disappeared and the horrible discovery of their bodies the following day he relayed the story of vicki hutchinson how her actions and willingness to play detective led the police to jesse and his eventual confession He admitted that Jesse's confession had discrepancies, but that they were all easily explained away. He said the mistakes were just a result of Jesse's failed attempt to minimize his involvement. Stidham went straight for the confession in his opening argument, stating that what Jesse told police was a false story. That Ridge and Gitchell realized that what Jesse was telling them was not true, but they kept interrogating him. As to the point jesse confessed to things that only the true killer would know stidham pointed out that the facts at that point were widely known to the general public instead stidham argued ridge and gitchell had been willing to terrify jesse until he told them what they wanted to hear they broke his will they scared him beyond all measure
2: off recording
1: off recording yeah in the 11 hours that he was there they recorded 30 minutes of his confession So Fogelman called Detective Ridge, having the policeman describe his findings of the bodies of the young boys. Ridge gave his testimony through tears as he recounted the day. Fogelman then had the boys' uh, bikes that were found in the drainage ditch brought into the courtroom as evidence, and they remained there throughout the rest of the trial.
2: Fingerprinting, not big yet? The right?
1: The bikes were found in the water, so oh, fingerprints yeah. were probably washed away. Uh,
2: they still should have done it well uh, because they'll fucking fingerprint anything
1: so next Fogelman handed out more than three dozen photos of the children's lifeless bodies bound and naked on the ditch bank he would later show even more photos of the bodies lying on the autopsy table as he questioned dr frank peretti of the arkansas crime lab to report on his findings now during his testimony dr peretti stated that there were some limitations as to what he could glean from his examinations most importantly, given Jesse's wildly inaccurate timeline <sighs> Fuck. I'm back in it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, most importantly given Jesse's wildly inaccurate timeline was the time of death. Because of the amount of time that the boys laid on the side of the ditch exposed to the heat and insects, Peretti was unable to pinpoint the exact time. Stidham used uses cross examination time to inquire about other discrepancies. For instance, was there any sign that the boys had been choked, as Jesse claimed? Peretti stated that there was not. And as to any proof that the boys had been sodomized, as Jesse claimed, again, Peretti said that there was not. Now when it came to questioning Chief Gitchell on the day that Jesse was interviewed, Bitchell. Bitchell. Gitchell claimed that Jesse had been Fucky Bitchell. There it is. <laughs> had been very relaxed and that no police officers had harassed him. Mm. Gitchell explained how he had played a tape for Jesse to see how he would react. Fogelman asked him to play the tape for the court. Gitchell turned the tape recorder on, and Aaron Hutchinson's disembodied voice filled the room. Nobody knows what happened but me. Gitchell turned the tape off. Nobody questioned him as to whose voice it was, how the recording came to be, or any other point as to context. All the jury knew was that the tape shocked Jesse, and that it was after the tape was played that Jesse began to confess. Now, Gitchell and Fogelman began to discuss Jesse's confession, and for the next 34 minutes, the only sound in the room was Jesse's confession.
2: How did nobody press any further about that tape? Because, like, I like Stidham at this point in the story. There were questions to ask here. There were, yeah.
0: He also was getting bombarded on every side by incompetent people. So, like, That's fair. He's
1: a one-man army right now. Also, yeah. they were not given yeah. m- much money, money or time to review the yeah. shit. Like yeah. he stated, and I didn't put it in here, but he stated that basically all he had was a credit card, his credit card, his personal credit card, and begging is all he could do. Jesus Christ. So when Stidham cross-examined Gitchell, he pointed out the many factual errors in Jesse's confession. He asked if Gitchell knew at the time that these were inaccurate statements. When Gitchell said yes, he brushed it off by saying that Jesse simply got confused. Yeah. Cause that happens.
2: Yeah. We knew that.
1: Yeah. You know, cause when I murder somebody, I forget the details of it.
2: Well, that's the fucking, what is that? The, is it Ted Bundy or Gacy that has the quote where he's like, uh, murdering is like changing a tire or something like that. The first couple of times you're right in there. You know exactly what you're doing, but the 50th time you can't remember where you left the wrench.
1: Okay. Wow. But this would have been Jesse's first time. So yeah. And a triple homicide.
2: That just reminded me of the quote.
1: So when Fogelman returned to the podium, it was time to clear up one of the most troublesome parts of Jesse's story. The makeup of the ligatures used to tie the boys up. Jesse had never wavered from his statement that they were tied up with rope. And this became a huge speed bump for the prosecution since everyone knew that they were tied up with shoelaces. But Jesse's defense was about to get sucker punched by Gitchell's next statement. When asked by Fogelman if there was any evidence that the boys had been tied up with rope, Gitchell stated yes. He stated that he himself noticed a mark on one of the boy's wrists that could indi- could indicate that rope was used at some point.
0: So now they're just lying.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep.
0: Wow.
1: Uh, I did find the quote. It's you learn what you ne- you learn what you
2: need to kill and take care of the details. It's like changing a tire. The first time you're careful. By the thirtieth time, you can't remember where you left the lug wrench.
1: And who said that? Ted Bundy. Okay. So, Stidham immediately stood to object, claiming rightfully that the statement called for pure speculation. But in a move that would become all too familiar in Jesse's trial and the upcoming trial of Jason and Damian, Judge Burnett overruled Stidham and even allowed Gitchell to draw a picture of the injury that he thought might be a rope burn.
0: Just draw a
2: picture of it? Yeah. Fucking what?
1: Mm hmm.
0: Oh, yeah. I've given up.
2: <laughs> Did they give him crayons? <laughs>
1: And like a, a Chili's placemat that you can just draw on? Fuck off. <laughs> so one of the stickiest issues for the prosecution was an explanation as to why Jesse even helped Damien and Jason in the first place. But Fogelman was ready for that as well. He called Vicki Hutchinson to the stand. Stidham objected and Burnett uh, and the Burnett had the jury leave the room for what became a reoccurring theme through Jesse's trial, an in-camera meeting meaning that the news reporters and members of the audience could hear what was being said, but that the jury could not. What? What the fuck? Yes. So, well, this is, this is them discussing what would, what uh, evidence could be allowed and what couldn't. Okay. Yeah. So Fogelman uh, explained that Vicky's testimony would lay the foundation for explaining the cult aspect to the case but Stidham pointed out that the supposed esbot didn't happen until after the murders and therefore had no bearing on the case at hand. Once again, Burnett overruled Stidham, stating that in his confession, Jesse had mentioned being in a cult when the photos of the boys were shown. And although the photo never turned up, um, Burnett allowed Hutchinson to testify. Now, not wanting Stidham to raise a question of her relationship to Jesse, Fogelman raised it himself. And Vicky admitted that even though she had suspicions about Damien, she never once thought that Jesse had anything to do with the murders and even admitted that the night before Jesse's arrest, she had asked him to stay at her house to keep watch because of the rumors of prowlers in the area. Under cross-examination, Vicky admitted to the fact that she had been convicted of writing bad checks and that the reason she had gotten involved in the case at all was because Detective Bray had called her in for questioning about another alleged fraud case.
2: Ugh, writing bad checks. That's crime you just can't do
1: anymore. Yeah, I know. When asked about when asked by Stidham, if why? Because motivated... nobody fucking writes checks. Exactly. Uh,
2: because for the most part, checks don't function like that anymore. When when you write a check, it's like immediately debited from your account when they do the thing with it at the register. Yeah, it's not like you can give somebody a check anymore unless it's like a personal
0: check, and uh... it's actually the other way around. Debit cards are just electronic checks. That is all they are. They are just, like, a check is a promissory note to pay someone from your account. Yeah. A debit card is the exact same thing, only it happens electronically, so it happens instantly. And because the technology has come uh, faster, checks still do that. Checks can do that. If you write a check, though, Mm -hmm. um, most of the time, uh, like you said, if it's a personal check, it can take some time. Yeah. Just because it is, like, antiquated. (laughs) It, it's it's fucking ridiculous. just old. I
2: f- anytime somebody comes into work with a check, I
0: fucking hate it. Yeah, because like I don't even have the capability to take a check at my job. Yeah. I yeah. just can't do it. And you shouldn't.
2: No. there's no reason to. But no, I can't at work and there have been times where somebody came in and uh went to like write me a check and when I tried to run it, it uh gave me the same message that it gives for a card decline. Yeah. For it doesn't say insufficient funds, but it means insufficient funds. Yeah. So yeah. I was just under the impression that they ran instantly now because Not all that's, the time. Not that's all how the they time.
0: do when I try and run them at work. Um, I'm sure like for retail and stuff. Yeah. Mm. Um, but if you're writing a check to like pay your car payment or whatever, it
1: can take time. Okay. So when asked by Stidham if her motivation was the $35,000 reward money, she stated that the money never entered her mind. So one missing element to the trial was Aaron Hutchinson. Hutchison. I hate the fact there's no N in this name. It's driving me crazy. Aaron Hutchison. Vicky's son and the voice on the tape recording that had frightened Jesse. Young Aaron was never. What's
0: the motherfucker's name from high school musical?
1: Vanessa
0: Hutchins. No, the boy. The White Boy. Oh, Zach Efron. Zac Efron. Damn it. Never mind. I thought his... I, which one did I... Oh, I do this every fucking week. <laughs> what is the one whose name is very close to this name? H- Vanessa, H- Vanessa Hutters- Hutcherson.
1: You're thinking of Josh Hutcherson. That's the PETA. Yes. Yeah. Got it. <laughs> so...
2: <laughs> he has gotten more mentions on this yes. podcast in the last <laughs> month than he has in Hollywood <laughs> since the fourth <laughs> Hunger Games movie. <laughs> I do not
0: even... I I read Hunger Games and watched the movies once each, and I don't care about it that much. I can't believe I remember his name that well. They're
2: doing another Hunger Games movie. Are
1: they really? Yeah, it's a prequel. Song of Snakes and Sparrows. Yep. Yeah, it's the story of President Snow when he was younger. Oh, is it? Yeah.
2: Oh, okay. I thought it was like about an earlier Hunger Games.
1: It is. It was the 10th Hunger Games. Did he win a Games? I don't know. It's probably like his first... Yeah. Something or other. Who gives a shit? But like... But Josh Hutcherson uh, is in um, he's Five in... Nights at Freddy's movie. Is he really? Oh, yeah, wow. He plays the security guard. What? Yeah. That's he's... big. Yeah. He's the For anybody guy.
0: who doesn't know, that's like the main guy. Yeah. <laughs> that's the guy you play as. He's the guy that the
1: lore fucking revolves around. Yeah. So, young Aaron was never called to testify because, as Fogelman would later confess... I had some police officers that were absolutely convinced of his story, and I talked to him a couple times. The first time, I was a little bit believing him. The last time, I guess, when he started talking about draining the blood into a bucket or whatever it was, it was so inconsistent that I got conf- concerned. So they didn't, yeah, the person that kept getting interviewed by the police, they didn't bring him up because he was so inconsistent and they didn't want him to change his story on the stand. So. <clears throat> Stidham had his own reasons. Mid. Stidham had his own reasons (laughs) for not calling Aaron. Much like any eight-year-old boy telling a story, it increasingly got more and more outlandish. Since the start of yeah, almost like he didn't see any of this shit. Since the start of the trial. Now, this is just since the start of the trial. Aaron's story had changed yet again. This time, stating to Detective Bray that it was Aaron himself that had dismembered Chris having been forced to do it by a black man holding a gun to his head.
2: Go go back. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold on. I was reading about uh the, the Hunger Games thing.
1: I love you guys are paying attention.
2: Hey, I have paid we- so much attention, but you have no idea what a big Hunger Games fan I am. So. I
0: can't... If I pay attention, I will fucking kill myself. <laughs> like, I can't make it happen. I, I'm there, though. Like, it, I... Yeah.
1: Yeah, so since... This this eight-year-old's mom just casually did a racism uh-huh. by proxy, I think. Yeah, she, he, since the trial, he was interviewed again by Detective Bray, and this time, Aaron stated that it was him that cut off Christopher's penis Uh huh. because he was being forced to do it by a black man holding a gun to his okay. head. Okay. Yeah. Not to mention that he did not want the jury to... Stidham did not want the jury to see him appear to pressure or bully a child who had been a friend to the victims. So the jury never heard from Aaron. I hope these people die horribly. Now I'm a
2: painting of a scared little boy.
1: (laughs) I'm a painting of an angry little boy. That's fair. So the jury never heard from Aaron. Given the fact, Go ahead. No, just, like, like,
2: it's like it makes it makes me scared for humanity that people will
0: just do that. Yeah. Specifically, like, I'm the painting in Dragon Ball Z of young Gohan when he's fighting Cell and he's looking at a bird. That
1: one, that painting <laughs> of that angry little boy. So given the fact that the West Memphis, many detectives in the West Memphis Police Department believed that Aaron had witnessed the murders firsthand and the fact that it was his testimony and Vicky's involvement that had led them to Jesse in the first place, his absence was a huge issue. Aaron had been present at almost every point in the investigation. He was a key element in the forwarding of events that led to this very trial. Yet now he was considered to be too unpredictable by both the defense and the prosecution. In the end, Aaron was just as much a victim as the three boys that were murdered. It was impossible that he could have witnessed the many iterations of the story he had told, yet the more investigators questioned him, the more he became convinced that it had. And too many adults with agendas of their own were too eager to believe him. They
0: literally... We'll talk about that in a few episodes when we get to me and Josh's scripts, but like that's literally how fucking the hypnotism thing the regressive memories works yeah you just convince a kid mm-hmm. or anybody yes. over and over again that they saw or did or said or heard something horrible and it's you just just over and over again tell them and that's how and then they believe it and they can see it happening in their memory and shit like yep. you can you can do it to yourself yeah you yep, can literally do careful, it to yourself.
2: It's it, sometimes it takes an active effort to
1: make sure that you don't do it to yourself. Yeah. So aside from Jesse's confession, the prosecution's case was circumstantial at best. Fogelman called Lisa Sacavicius of the Arkansas State Crime Lab. She testified that a green fiber that had been found on Michael Moore's Cub Scout hat was microscopically similar to fibers from a shirt found in Damien's house.
2: So are the fibers in my fucking shirt right now. They're microscopically similar.
1: Right. But according to... mm, 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 mm. According to somebody (laughs) in the comment section... um, I uh, will shit in his mouth. You know, many cases have been solved by microscopically similar fibers. I will...
2: Microscopic his fibers. (laughs)
0: It was the tone, it was the tone where you got confused halfway through. (laughs) I will microscopic his fibers. so she, we're uh, all almost as good drunk. as a Mucacabra. Yeah,
1: we, <laughs> I think we are all starting to get punch drunk from this story. Uh, we just need a good serial killer. <laughs> so she, she further testified that fibers found on a pair of pants that had been submerged in the water were also similar- also what a dumbass
0: <laughs> microscopically so eat my dick.
1: <laughs> Uh, testified that fibers found on a pair of pants that had been submerged in the water were also similar to the fiber found in Damien's house. She also testified that a single red rayon fiber found on one of the victim's shirts was, again, microscopically similar to fibers from a red woman's bathrobe found in Jason's house. Now, the analyst and Fogelman was- That's qu- racist. Was quick to point out- Okay. <laughs> a red woman, Don? Come on. Red fiber-
0: no, I get it. I okay. got
2: it. I a, a red women's bathrobe. No,
0: I, I. That's the.
2: I know. Mm-hmm.
0: Now Most that stuff. we've all you you now that we've all ruined our all
1: all our fuck it, <laughs> just go. <laughs> <laughs> Damn
0: it!
1: So the analyst and Fogelman were quick to point out that they were not. <laughs> the analyst and Fogelman were quick to point out that they were not <laughs> suggesting that these articles of clothing were worn by Damien and Jason, but rather through secondary transference. They could have ended Which, up,
2: yeah. Uh,
1: mm. you know, they could have ended up at the crime scene, um, but through through secondary transference, they could have ended up at the crime scene.
2: It's and all secondary transference cannot. I haven't mentioned the Amanda Knox case on this episode yet. So, <laughs> <laughs> the mishandling of evidence in that case led to fingerprints being in uh, places that they shouldn't have been, um, because. Uh, the the evidence were they weren't separated properly. They weren't put into evidence bags. They weren't handled correctly throughout right. the entire thing. So because of transference like that, they basically ended up with fingerprints on fucking everything, and that led to her conviction.
1: Right, crazy. So is there anything else that we normally mention once a week?
2: Uh, no. We we got we jo- got we got Josh
1: Hutcherson, Josh Amanda Knox. We got suck my nuts.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: eat uh, my whole day
1: <laughs> i thought you were about to do Suck that like sweet land of liberty
0: <laughs> my massive toad. <child. laughs>
1: so um yeah second i don't think those are the lyrics but that's that's the guy uh have you checked your butthole guy but sycophisius was very careful to point out the fact that the fibers were microscopically similar did not mean that the fibers came from the articles of clothing found in Jason and Damien's houses. And under cross-examination, she testified that many fibers are microscopically similar and that the finding of them at the crime scene proved nothing. It's almost like, it's almost like things that are the same thing,
0: like, I don't know, like a fucking rayon fiber from a, anything, anything rayon in the 90s? Yeah. In the 90s rayon in the 90s i'll i'll repeat rayon in the 90s everything in that fucking courtroom was microscopically similar oh yeah like come on it's sometimes for that guy like yeah Oh, a fiber from this carpet looks like a fiber from this other carpet, microscopically. Yeah, they've got this. They've got they. They have the same microscopic structure. You dumb motherfucker.
2: Sometimes I feel like I should have been a lawyer at some point in my life. That's
0: like saying this brick wall looks like this brick wall. Yeah, it's both made out of fucking
2: bricks, dumbass. Uh, because I feel like I would be good at explaining that to the jury, like. <laughs> Uh, I, although, I, can you address the jury directly as a lawyer? Only in your
1: opening and closing statements. Only as in as your opening and closing
0: statements. Okay. Uh, the lawyers can address the jury. I don't think that witnesses can.
1: Unless they say explain to the jury. Yeah, right. yeah.
0: I think I, you're supposed to keep it to the courtroom, and the jury is literally supposed to be as separate as possible. Right. I think.
2: I just feel like I would be good at explaining to regular-ass people that the fibers on their clothes are also, in fact, microscopically similar to...
0: Yeah. Like, sir, if... Mr. Lawyer, sir, if I took your jacket right now and took ten random samples, ten, a hundred, a million, they would all be microscopically similar to the shit that I found. Yeah. So, like... Did you do it, though? Because, damn, that's why I can't. They won't put me in the a, a courtroom. <laughs> Sacaviceus also described the type of knots used to hogtie the boys. In fact, I'll even point to this. Spe- I'll be like, hey, listen to one episode of my podcast, and you'll know why I can't uh-huh. be in here.
1: Uh, Michael's restraints had been tied with a combination of square knots and half hitches. Stevie had been tied using a combination of half hitches, a figure eight, and loops. Hi,
0: hi, real quick. I was a fucking Boy Scout and nobody knows the name of knots. No one.
1: I know the names. I don't remember how to tie them. I can do a square knot. Listen. And a slip knot knot
0: people well i mean i love slipknot
1: i did my
0: time yeah thank you (laughs) oh fucking alley-oop to that one fucking ridiculous Uh, (laughs) um (laughs) i set him up for the spike on that one you know what a noose looks like a square knot is basically like a big fucking square chunky knot yeah (laughs) Yeah. and like you know a couple of them but like a half hitch yeah other shit like that uh who's saying this
1: this is uh lisa Savickius, the the member of the arkansas state crime lab okay, okay this sounds is,
2: like a boss that i fought in
1: Hades.
0: It, it's, it's, oh man <laughs> it sounds so cool but i don't know if i like her that much i might not have been
1: pronouncing it correctly it's I, I, like, yeah, I mean
0: it's either Sacavicius or sakavicious or yeah. something like that um but i i this person seems to me to be like a one person who's trying to say, like they're on the stand so they can't lie they have to present the things they found Right. And they're trying their damnedest to be like, no no no, this is just the facts that this is similar, right. but that doesn't matter because it's it doesn't matter. These other things don't also matter. And everybody's like, But see, <laughs> it does matter and I feel sorry for this person. Um, but also I forgot.
1: You're talking about the knots.
0: Oh, yeah. It makes sense that this person would be saying the name of nuts because they're literally a crime lab expert. Right. So that makes sense. So never mind about and that.
1: And by the way, Sack of Vicious, that is uh, Ghost Stroke's eighth album. Sack of Vicious? Sack of Vicious.
2: Sack of Vicious mm. Nuts.
1: <laughs> That's the title track. Yes. How did you know? <laughs> so yeah, so Stevie... Uh, Michael Moore had been tied with a combination of square knots and half hitches. Stevie had been tied using a combination of half hitches, figure eight, and loops, while Christopher had been tied up using all double half hitches, Fogelman suggested that the different why knots, mm, Fogelman uh, wh- suggested that d- the different knots indicated multiple assailants.
0: Nah, I don't.
2: That's well. That's actually what I was just thinking about. Is you said a half hitch knot? Yeah. How complicated of a knot is I don't that? Remember.
1: It's uh, it's complicated enough that I don't remember it. And I was an Eagle Scout. Yeah, I didn't even make Eagle. You said it was it was half hitch knots and... Double half hitch. Double half hitch. Yeah, the other one's a figure eight and loop. It's
0: and a normal fucking knot.
1: An overhand knot?
0: Yep. <laughs> it's just the one you do when you're tying your shoes, you know? The first part where you fucking twirl them bitches together. That's a half hitch. <laughs> a double half hitch is when you do it twice. Ah, well yeah, there you go. It's
2: there, there, so... The fact that it was half hitches and double half hitches means nothing. Absolutely Some, jack shit. Sometimes he wrapped the the rope twice. Mm-hmm.
1: That's it. I can probably I've like tied stuff up before, and I can probably guarantee you I've tied knots and not realized it just tying it so it wouldn't move. Right, exactly. exactly. If
2: you have ever tried to secure anything to a moving vehicle... A- and you, you prob- look at one of your
0: knots and you're like, that ain't gonna hold. And, <laughs> and
2: you didn't know what you were... Like, you don't actually know how to tie a proper knot and you were just twisting rope together so yeah. it was tight. You probably tied, like, six different types of knots.
1: Yeah. I'm Ruben, a.k.a. twisting ropes. <laughs> <laughs> Under cross-examination, Stidham questioned her about other fibers that had been found at the scene and pardon me for saying this word, I'm sorry, specifically a negroid hair. <laughs>
0: God
1: damn it. God
0: damn!
1: That's a blast from the... Pa- negroid? Oh, yes. <laughs> Holy
2: shit. That sounds like a word that a racist insult would use.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it does. Like some shitty 15-year-old. Yeah
0: god damn (laughs) Yeah, specifically
1: an african-american hair found at the sheet (laughs) you could have done that first nah (laughs) no no he couldn't have no he couldn't have he did he made the right choice found on the sheet covering christopher byers body fucking a she stated that the origin of the hair remained unknown (sighs) through his cross-examination i bet if you'd walked
0: into that fucking bojangles you'd know
1: so since uh, where did did it go Uh, though his through his cross-examination stidham i'm sorry i'm getting distracted uh I may have ad i don't know uh, uh
2: add and adhd actually same diagnosis now
1: well she stated that the origin of the, oh yeah so through his cross-examination stidham had proven that all of the state's evidence was not airtight however fogelman had one more witness to go unfortunately for fogelman it would not go the way he hoped Fogelman had planned to call William Jones to the stand to back up Vicki Hutchinson's testimony. Fogelman had a taped statement by Jones that stated that once, while drunk, Damien had confessed to him that he was a member of a satanic cult and that he had raped the three eight-year-old boys and killed them with a knife. Who said this? This is one of the prosecution's witnesses, William Jones. Oh, we just making shit up on the oh, stand yeah. now. Well,
0: during Oh, the they trial, all looked and they were like, oh, so we can just say whatever the fuck we want? Okay, cool. Now, he didn't
1: say this on the stand. This is a tape t- uh, interview oh, okay. that Fogelman had. He was going to call Fogel- or Jones in to testify. But during the trial, Lax went to interview the boy about his statement. Before the boy would speak to Lax, Jones said that he wanted to speak to his mother and stepfather. Lax waited 30 minutes while the three of them went into another room. When they returned, Jones's mother asked Lax what would happen if William had lied to the police. Lax said that he wasn't sure, but he would probably be okay because the police did, had not placed him under oath. William then proceeded to tell Lax that he didn't like Damien and told his mom that Damien had confessed to him. And his mom had called the police. Oh my God. Jones, not wanting to confess that he had lied to his mother... Continued to lie when questioned. Oh my,
0: oh my god. god, that is that is a thing that I should have considered. Yeah, like w- wow, I can't believe that never crossed my mind. Maybe it's because I never really had to lie to my mom. Yeah, but like, well, well, I, you uh, you know what I mean. I didn't. I, I say had to. I, no, I I know know say had mean. to.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I but like, my mom didn't know the first time I did acid in my bedroom. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Like, uh, there are still some things that I would rather my parents not know, same. uh, but as I'm sure is true for everyone. Oh yeah. But, uh, it, it, it never once fucking crossed my mind, even growing up when and where I did where like my friends would often lie to their parents cause their parents were the worst. Yeah. Um, that. That you would be afraid, so more afraid of your mother than the law. Oh, yeah. And maybe that's a black thing, too, because, like, moms are sacred in black culture, but you don't lie to either. You don't like you can lie to the police, but not your mom. Yeah. You know what I mean? So well,
2: Especially because like, when you're a kid, uh, at least for white kids. Uh, you don't really know how dangerous the law is. That's fair. Uh, I noticed but you that. know <laughs> how dangerous your mom is. <laughs> yeah, okay.
0: See, but that is what I mean, too. Like, growing up, you know, around my white cousins versus my black cousins, uh, like, n- noticing shit like that, I really should have thought, like... Uh, You know, maybe some of these kids are saying these crazy things just because they don't like these boys. Uh But now that it's gotten real, they're scared of their parents or the police. And so they don't want to change anything up
1: because if they do, maybe they get in trouble. Right. So William agreed to be videotaped by Lax to set the record straight. When news got back to Fogelman that one of his key witnesses had recanted his statement, he was, needless to say, not pleased. All of the attorneys went into the judges' chambers for a meeting. Also, the, the people, the
0: adults in this, every adult here, there were so many. They should, one of them should have thought of that. Yeah. Like, hey, maybe these high schoolers who have been picking on this kid, which we should know if we were doing our job, maybe they're just lying so that he gets in trouble. And they don't really understand, because they are children, the actual consequences of what is actually happening right now. So, as evidenced by the eight-year-old who now says he castrated another boy under threat of death.
1: Right. By a black man, <clears throat> which doesn't match any of the testimony. None of it. Or, you know, But anyways, so all of the attorneys went into the judges chambers for a meeting. Fogelman accused Lacks of intimidating- Except for the
0: negroid hair. I am going to bring that up as much as possible.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Fogelman accused Lacks of intimidating his witness, stating that- We don't need a fancy investigator from Tennessee coming in here and intimidating the witness. Lax would later say, if I had been there at the time, I would have pointed out that I interviewed all the teenagers in the front of their mothers, which was more than the West Memphis Police Department did.
0: Ooh.
2: God damn.
1: This man is coming for blood.
2: Yeah. (laughs) As he fucking well should. Uh Uh-huh. This is still the guy we like.
1: Yeah. The, the lawyer, one this is lax. This was the private investigator that was hired to by the guy we like. By one of the defense lawyers, yes. Okay. Okay. Um, so faced with little choice, uh, Fogelman continued what would with what little evidence he had left.
2: Wild that lawyers are the good guys in the story, I, I know.
1: hate it. Well, uh lawyer.
2: Lawyers, well, you know.
0: lawyers are the, a type of profession where you can be a good guy or a bad guy. Yeah.
1: For sure. Yeah. Funnily enough, usually it depends on whether you're prosecution or defense, but that's beside the point. Mm, weird that, yeah, yeah crazy. So, <laughs> Fogelman can, oh yeah. Uh, I will
0: say though, defense lawyers don't get it off don't get off easy because like, no, because like any scene in Breaking Bad, yeah, yeah. like <laughs> you know what I'm saying, like, like, like Saul, yeah, okay, yeah. like people like Saul exist specifically to get criminals out of trouble, right? Yeah. Like like actual bad guys,
2: yeah, no, like. Saul Goodman doesn't just exist in yeah uh, in That's the, real. the cool show. Yeah. yeah It's
0: it's not as funny in real life. No.
2: It's not
1: no. quirky. <laughs> it's evil. So Fogelman introduced a couple pairs of black boots that belonged to Jason and Damien because in his confession, Jesse stated that they were all wearing black boots. He also introduced a book found in Damien's room called Never on a Broomstick which was a history of witchcraft from primitive times to the modern era.
2: That's a good-ass name for that a book is a about good the name. history of
1: witchcraft. <laughs> Fogelman stated that it was proof of cult-related about, motivation. No,
0: I'm not going to make that joke. I was going to say, what about wizardry? But only um, because of
1: Hogwarts. <laughs> <laughs> but there was something obvious about Jesse's Switch, trial. Witchcraft, witchcraft and did wizardry. It. Thank yeah, you. I got it.
2: I was there with you. I appreciate it. What yeah. about Wizard
0: 101? <laughs> uh... What about the Wizards on Waverly Place? Okay. Waverly Place? Yes. That is a pronunciation from a Star Kid production. I'll oh, okay. show you later.
1: <laughs> but there was one thing about uh, something. <laughs>
0: I just remembered. It's Draco. It's Draco in the play. He's
1: wanting to go watch Wizards of Waverly Place. It's
0: so dumb. But there I'm w- sorry.
1: That's okay. But there was something obvious about Jesse's trial. Aside from Jesse's confession and Vicki Hutchinson's testimony, everything else had been about Damien's guilt. Nothing was presented that put Jesse at the scene, nor explained why Jesse would have helped Damien and Jason in the first place. Remember, Jesse stated that he was scared of Damien, so why would he help them? To solve that piece of the puzzle, Fogelman called West Memphis expert on the occult, Jerry Driver.
0: Fuck! Jerry's in the driver's seat! (laughs)
1: Fuck off. So did Jerry... They don't
2: let him be in the driver's seat. Uh,
1: yeah, I wish they wouldn't have. Put him in the fucking trunk. Put Jerry in the trunk. So driver <laughs> testified that he had seen the three teenagers, Jason, Jake, Damien, and Jesse, walking around town together multiple times wearing long black trench coats and carrying staff. So the staff's part was important because in his confession, Jesse had said that they choked the boys with big sticks. Could the staffs Jerry's mentioned the by driver... Seat? Be the sticks Jesse mentioned, and with that, Fogelman rested his case. I'll but,
2: rest his case. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Just stop, sweetheart. <laughs> it's, the, it's the sweetheart for me. <laughs> <laughs> so Stidham knew that there were multiple issues that he was facing in Jesse's defense. Not the least of which, I hate Jerry Driver so much. Oh yeah. I
0: hope I want to kick his ass in real life. <laughs> I won't. I bet he looks exactly like
2: I think he looks.
1: Yep. So not the least of which was Jesse's alibi. Now, remember, in the beginning, Stidham was convinced that Jesse was guilty and therefore was working with Dan Fogelman to work out a plea deal for Jesse in exchange for him testifying against Damien and Jason. Then Jesse's father, Jesse miskelli Sr., began holding almost nightly press conferences from his front porch telling anyone who would listen about Jesse's whereabouts the night of the murders. What?
0: i I just I have a tendency to mishear so okay, this is hard to explain wow, um <clears throat> I was looking at Jesse Miss Kelly's name right because you were saying Miss Kelly, and I thought it was two words because in my head, I tend to visualize words that I'm right. hearing, like literally as if they are on a page. I do that too, and like I was here I was seeing Jesse miss kelly yeah and i was looking to see if the spelling was like a weird spelling of miss right or if it was one word oh it's spelled yeah it exactly also like miss kelly yeah I but also, it's one
1: word instead of two i also jumped back and forth on where i put the uh accent i've said miss kelly and then i've said miss kelly yeah which so, is i it, you know yeah. It, yeah so yeah so jesse miss kelly senior had began holding almost nightly press conferences from his front porch telling anyone it who might would listen, be miss kelly Like, more Italian style? I don't know. Um, About Jesse's whereabouts the night of the murders. He adamantly continued to ask why no one had interviewed the people who could corroborate Jesse's alibi. It wasn't until the first hearing when Fogelman told Stidham that they they had found blood on one of Jesse's shirts that matched Michael Moore. Uh, But when Stidham asked Jesse about... Hold on. Let me read that again. Sorry. It wasn't until the first hearing when Fogelman told Stidham that they had found blood on one of Jesse's shirts that matched Michael Moore.
0: Okay, hold on. Fogelman. Is the prosecutor. Prosecutor.
1: Stidham is defense. Stidham is defense. Jesse is the. Jesse is the boy. Right. And his dad also. Mm -hmm. But when Stidham asked Jesse about it, Jesse stated that it was his blood. Jesse told Stidham about something he liked to do to show everyone how tough he could be. He would take a glass Coke bottle and throw it up in the air and punch it with his fists on the way down. Shattering the bottle. That's kind of hardcore. <laughs> I'm not going to lie.
2: It's if you can just in midair actually shatter a glass, a glass bottle, bottle with your
0: fist. That's hardcore, That's, actually.
2: I'm going to be honest with you. I, I'm not
0: gonna i not going to fuck with them.
2: I'm a little bitch because I can throw a glass bottle at the ground as hard as I can. and It might not break. <laughs> <laughs> ah! <laughs> fuck. <laughs>
1: You throw the bottle on the ground. The bottle looks at you like, what exactly are you trying to do? (laughs) It just does (laughs) that thing where it goes, bounce, dude.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And you're like, you hit seven rocks. Why didn't you die?
1: So um, Jesse claimed that this was the reason there was blood on his shirt.
0: The bottle looks back at you with anime eyes and you begin your epic battle.
1: (laughs) A few days later, Fogelman called Stidham and told him that the blood on Jesse's shirt was not Michael's. So they got it wrong. So Stidham decided to interview Jesse's friends. But because of Jesse's dad giving the constant interviews, the police interviewed the teens as well. Not wanting to get involved with the case, the nervous boys couldn't remember the exact night. But when they were questioned in front of the jury, they all stated that they were with Jesse on the night of the murders. When asked why the discrepancy in their testimony, they would say, Mr. Stidham talked to us, making it look to the jury that the defense was trying something shady. Oh, damn. So Stidham could only try to cast doubt on any evidence he could. He first brought up the African-American hair that was found on the sheet covering Christopher Byers. Then he called Marty King, the manager of the Bojangles restaurant, about the officer's <clears throat> lack of follow-up. He then questioned Detective Ridge about the blood scrapings taken from the bathroom wall. <sighs> Ridge confessed that the scrapings had been lost, and as a result, no DNA tests could be run on it. So they lost evidence. Boy! Boy!
2: quote-unquote, is that some of the evidence that was later discovered?
0: I don't know. How did these boys get convicted? <laughs> huh. I wonder what it could be.
1: <laughs> so Stidham then tried... This to... is an 11 out of 10, guys. Yeah. So Stidham then tried to please the or plead the case of Jesse's mental vulnerability. He had Dr. Hey, ju- ju- uh, m- members of the jury, look at
0: how stupid this boy is. <laughs>
1: Right. So um, he had Dr. William Wilkins examine Jesse pro bono. Wilkins, Wilkins' findings were that Jesse was a teenager that bordered on mentally retarded, whose maximum scores for academic achievement were in the third or fourth grade levels, and who had never passed any of Arkansas's minimum performance tests.
2: And for that reason alone, I don't see how he was declared fit for trial. Yeah. Like, I know we talked about it. Before, but really, man, <laughs> come on, come on, man, come on.
1: But on the eve of Wilkinson's testimony, prosecutor Davis dropped the bombshell that Wilkins was about to lose his license. Baby. There were allegations that he had made some little boy drop his pants to look for a birthmark when they were, there were no witnesses in the room. Wilkins did in fact have his license revoked a few weeks after Jesse's trial when the Arkansas Board of Examiners in Psychology found that he had engaged in serious professional misconduct. Wow.
2: What a fucking blunder. They just had to get the fucking guy who was a pedophile. Yeah. To do... Oh, my God. But despite
1: knowing that Davis would roundly discredit his witness, Stidham put Wilkins on the stand anyways. He had no choice.
2: Yeah. He
1: needed someone to let the jury know about Jesse's intellectual limitations. And there was no time to find a new examiner. Now, Wilkins had been one of only three main witnesses on whom Stidham planned to base his defense. The other two were Warren Holmes, a nationally recognized expert on polygraph techniques.
0: It's almost like no one in this town should be allowed to be in or near a courtroom. Yeah. (laughs) Literally, Stidham is the only motherfucker, the only one who should be, he should be the courthouse.
1: So
2: uh, fuck it, let him be Judge Dredd. He's judge, juror, and executioner.
1: I so s- he can have it. So, Crazy. Yeah, so Warren Holmes was a nationally recognized expert on polygraph techniques, and Doctor Will- Richard Offshay was a nationally recognized expert on coerced confessions. But unfortunately for Stidham and Jesse, the jury would never hear much of what Holmes and Offshay had come to say. What? First up was Dr. Holmes. Like Wilkins, Holmes agreed to look over Jesse's lie detector test. Stidham was astonished when Holmes told him that Jesse had in fact only lied on one question, whether or not he did drugs. As to all the pertinent information as it related to the murders, Jesse had passed. It was clear that Officer Durham had lied to Jesse when he said that he failed. The prosecution lodged several objections to having the jury hear Holmes' testimony. Burnett held yet another in-camera meeting. Judge Burnett began the discussion by noting that results of polygraph tests, though frequently used by police, have long been considered too unreliable to be introduced as evidence in trials. Burnett announced that the results of Jesse's polygraph exam were therefore not admissible under any circumstances in court. Because of that prohibition, Burnett said that he would sharply define what testimony from Holmes would and would not be allowed. He would, however, allow testimony about whether or not the polygraph could have induced a person to make a statement that they would not have otherwise made. The answer is yes, it can.
0: Yeah,
2: absolutely. That is what they are used for in the modern day.
1: Mm -hmm. So this meant that Stidham had an expert witness who was not going to be allowed to offer his expert opinion. Holmes could not tell the jury that as he read Durham's test results, Jesse was telling the truth. Stidham argued that the testimony should be allowed, stating that we are talking about the voluntariness of the confession. He told Burnett that Holmes should be allowed to testify so the court could determine the totality of the circumstances regarding this confession. And he cited case law to show that the other, other courts had held that any evidence tending to show the innocence of the accused is admissible. But Burnett countered, In other words, you want him to testify in his opinion that the accused was not showing deception that's totally and completely irrelevant and inadmissible. My ruling is that the results of the polygraph test are not admissible evidence and therefore no expert state or defense n- yeah. Yeah, no state or defense is going to be able to testify to the veracity of the polygraph machine because it's not accepted in this state as credible evidence. I won't accept it as one way or the other. I don't care whether he says it. Oh my god. This is verbatim. I don't care whether he says it was telling the truth or whether he says it was lying. Now, instead, Holmes would proffer his testimony in the hearing. That is to state for the record what he would have told the jury had they been allowed. If Jesse was convicted, Stidham would use the record of Holmes's proffer as part of his appeal. Burnett agreed. That's,
2: that's covering your bases.
1: Burnett agreed. And with the jury still gone, Holmes was sworn in. Stidham asked Holmes about factors that might indicate to him that a suspect was giving a false confession. Holmes cited three. Number one, they don't tell you anything you don't already know. Number two, what they do say doesn't jibe with the crime scene analysis uh or the physical evidence or in or any investigation that has been done up to that point. He said and doesn't jive? It's it's yeah, it does. I'm literally reading verbatim. Nice. It's the nineties. I know. Yeah. And three, I love it. <laughs> if they don't relate in narrative form, you have to be suspicious. Valid confessions, on the other hand, are marked by what Holmes called an emotional release, stating that you don't have to question him because he wants to get it off his chest. They relive some of the sensations at the time of the crime. And if the confession is really valid, they will offer some incidental detail that lends credibility to their story. Maybe they'll say at the time that they were doing this, some man was walking his dog off in the distance. Or just at that precise moment I was doing this, there was an automobile accident. And later you'll find out that that actually occurred. You look for those incidental details they can offer. If it is a valid confession and you make a supposition and you're wrong, they will tell you you're wrong. They'll answer every question directly. You don't have to correct them and you don't have to lead them in any way. Now, when asked about Jesse's confession specifically... Holmes replied, what I don't like about his confession is he doesn't attribute any conversation during the crime to the boys. I don't like that he doesn't express any feelings about the crime, how he felt at the time, how he feels now. I don't like the fact that he's giving wrong information about the ligatures, which should absolutely stand out in his mind. And I don't like the time factor. It would seem to me that despite his IQ level, he should know the difference between 9 a.m. and 5 p.m., and somehow should know the difference between a rope and shoelaces. Those things bother me a lot. Now, when asked if a polygraph examination could contribute to a false confession, Holmes replied, unfortunately, it can. Because with some of these people, it is the last hope. They think, okay, if I take this test and I pass it, we're going to get off my back, or you're going to get off my back. And then when they're told that the test indicates that they're lying, that's the straw that breaks the camel's back. And then their, their will is beaten to a pulp, and then they just give up. And when asked to give some factors that troubled him, Holmes replied, well, this was an ideal case for what we call a peak attention test. Whether you set up a series of questions or one is where one is the key. Yeah. Where you set up a series of questions, uh, where one is the key detail. And in this case, that should have been a peak attention test regarding whether or not the boys were tied up with plastic tape or wires or shoelaces in my theory being um, in the theory being that the list, of the items listed, if the examinee reacts to the key one, he definitely has pertinent information with regard to the crime in question.
2: No, no, oh, I'm, okay. I'm good. Uh, I was just hitting my okay. vape, so I was moving the mic back.
1: So if you keep talk, taking the key detail and you shift it around in a series of different tests, and statistically, if he reacts each and every time to the key detail, there's a large probability that he has intimate knowledge of the crime. Also, a peak attention test could have been conducted regarding the location um Of the crime. Holmes stated that if the examiner didn't interpret the test results properly, then it might cause an interrogator to become more assertive and produce a false confession, stating it's a catalyst. If the examiner goes out and says this guy is deceptive, he's involved. That's all these interrogators have to hear. It gives them the enthusiasm to be more assertive in their accusatory format.
2: Yep. That's that's exactly what they use polygraphs for today. So, nowadays, uh, a polygraph test administrator is, for all intents and purposes, also an interrogator. Like I, I've mentioned before, they used it in the, um, fuck, what was his name? Chris, uh, Chris Watts. Watts. Chris Watts. Oh. Fuck off. <laughs> uh, and the, the murder of Shanann Watts yeah. and their two and a half kids, because she was right. pregnant. Um the way that played out was the, the woman who administered the polygraph test came in and was very, very tender, very good cop with him. And she was like, Chris, that's not what the polygraph's telling me. I know, I know this tells me everything that I need to know. So, and and, you know, in this case, it worked in the way that it's supposed to. And, uh, man who killed his wife and two his pregnant wife and two children uh got they got a confession out of him for it and he did it you Mm -hmm. know but it it gets used that same way to break people's will right when they are trying to obtain a confession for something that they're
1: sure you did even if you didn't so Holmes stated that it bothered him that the police didn't take. Sometimes, especially if you didn't. Yep. So Holmes stated that it bothered him that the police didn't take Jesse to the crime scene, stating that that's the first thing you do uh, when you get a guy to, so to speak, verbally crap out. What he uh, crap out, what he did, you take him right to the crime scene. In this case, there was some dispute as to what side of the creek he was on, whether he was where he was standing and where the bikes were. That could have been resolved if he had been taken to the crime scene. Judge Burnett listened to the testimony, but was not persuaded by Stidham's argument that the jury should hear it. After hours of negotiation... Of course Burn- he
0: wasn't. We've discussed this.
1: Burnett allowed Holmes to take to the stand in the presence of the jury, but Stidham was warned to ask him only a very few general questions. The closest Holmes was able to come to addressing the issue at hand was to observe that Jesse Ms. Kelly quote, certainly knows the difference between shoelaces and a rope, and that was essentially all the jury heard from Warren Holmes.
0: Jesus.
1: The only hope Stidham had left was to present a witness with expertise on the subject of coerced confessions, and that, too, was all that shot down. Richard Offshay was a social psychologist with a doctorate from Stanford University. He specialized in interpersonal dynamics, particularly in police interrogations. Students believed Offshay's testimony was Stidham. Sorry, Stidham believed that Offshay's testimony was so critical to his defense that he talked Jesse's family into releasing the $5,000 they were to receive from their contract with HBO to pay for Offshay to come to Arkansas. He had barely gotten his credentials out before the prosecution objected. After sending the jury out of the room one more time, Judge Burnett held another in camera hearing. Burnett began. I'm going to be honest, gentlemen, I'm real interested in knowing what a sociologist is going to testify to that would aid and benefit the jury. And what is the scientific basis of that testimony? It seems to me that you've called this witness to give an opinion that the confession was coerced and that it was involuntary. And I think that's a question for the jury to decide. And I'm not sure going to allow, I'm sure not going to allow him to testify in that narrow framework. Jesus Christ. I can see him having value testifying that these common techniques employed by the police to override one's free will and that I found such such and such conditions prevalent here and things that are of that nature or more maybe group dynamics of a cult, but I'm not sure I'm prepared to allow him to testify that in his opinion it's coerced and therefore invalid. I mean what the hell do we need a jury for then?
2: He's an expert. Who's, why am I going to yell about it? Well, you got to
1: remember that uh, Burnett didn't believe in. You got to remember Burnett was a cop and a prosecutor yeah. and didn't believe in the benefits of having a psychiatrist or psychologist. I, that's, testify.
2: that's why I'm saying, why am I going to yell yeah. about it? I'm dead inside.
1: So Stidham argued that he's not going to, he wasn't going to testify whether or not the confession is false or true or whether the defendant is guilty or innocent, but merely that he's going to testify to the voluntary nature of the confession. The statement to the police, whether or not it was coerced, that's an issue that the jury has to decide. And that's what an expert witness is for, to help the jury decide these issues. The prosecutor, Davis, immediately jumped in, stating that's the real crux of the matter. Whether the confession was coerced or not doesn't matter. It's whether it was the truth. And they're trying to go through the back door with what they can't get through the front door.
2: God, Stidham really fucking tried. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. Stidham
1: begged, your honor, that's not the correct statement of the law. But Barnett declared, of course, I've ruled that it was voluntary. The jury, I guess, could go back and decide that it wasn't. And that's what you're talking about. But the question of whether or not psychological ploys or tools were used to get a guilty person to give a true statement. Now, that's another issue. Stidham continued to argue that that's stating that's not what he was going to testify to. But Burnett, growing impatient, stated, I don't know what you've got him here for. What is he going to testify to? I want to know. Stidham stated that he has an opinion as to whether or not the statements made by Mr. Miss Kelly was to the the West Memphis Police Department were voluntary. The judge said, well, we might as well get on with it. I'm going to let him testify, but I'm not about to let him testify that, uh, in his opinion, Miss Kelly is innocent. Don't even try to ask him whether or not he has an opinion, whether the confession was true or false, because I'm ruling that he cannot do that. And I'm not going to allow him to testify that in his opinion, these officers illegally exacted or coerced a confession from me either. I'm not going to allow him to testify to that. So what's he going to testify to? He
0: should have given up. He should have just waited for the appeal process. And if he got the same judge, he should have tried it again. Because this man literally does not give a shit. He doesn't care. Like. He literally, he is telling this man without saying it like in a legal on-camera way. He is saying, hey, fuck off. I do not care whether or not they did the right things. Yeah. I don't care whether they're right or not. I want to be done.
2: He's No, in, in a whole lot more words, he's saying, I'm going to defend the police no matter what. Right. Yeah. I'm going to side with the prosecution no matter what. I'm going to
0: contribute to corruption no matter what. Stidham
2: led Jesse into a courtroom where literally everybody was already against them. Right. In in a situation where you were supposed to have an impartial judge, an impartial jury, (laughs) and two more or less... (laughs) equally balanced sides arguing the case, they walked into a room where literally everybody who was supposed to be impartial pretty much already had the cuffs on him. Oh, yeah. And it's not Stidham's fault, of course, and he fucking sure tried his best. He set up a solid case, but none of it mattered.
1: Yeah, because, I mean, even though... Even though they they didn't do the tests or the trials in West Memphis, this was a nationwide story. Everybody had heard this story. Yeah. So by this point, even going to Jonesboro, and I forget where the other one was, they had their opinions too. Yes. And we literally, this was still, like I've said, this was kind of the end of the, the, the 80s satanic panic. Yep. So we were still in that mind frame. But... Where the hell was I at? Um, It's
2: just, it's... I'd always say it over and over and over again, but it's fucking infuriating.
1: So when Stidham described a line of questioning that he thought confirmed or conformed to Burnett's demands... (coughs) Burnett was like, actually, no. (laughs) The judge agreed to call the jury back and let Offshay testify. But first, Burnett advised the jury on a rule of law, beginning... An expert witness is a person who has special knowledge, skill, experience, training, or education on the subject to which his testimony relates. An expert witness may give his opinion on questions and controversies. You may consider his opinion in the light of his qualifications and credibility, the reason given for his opinion, and the facts and other matters upon which his opinion is based. You are not bound to accept an expert opinion as conclusive, but you should give it whatever weight you think it should have. You may disregard any testimony if you find it to be unreasonable. So he literally poisoned the well. Yep. Yeah. So Ashe testified that he believed that Jesse had given a coerced compliant compliant confession, explaining that that type of confession comes about because an individual can no longer stand the strain of the interrogation and knowingly gives a statement that he knows to be false. When Stidham asked if police investigation tactics could lead to a coerced compliant complesh, confession, Offshay began to cite a recent article in the Stanford Law Review that stated that 350 cases in which a jury found someone guilty who turned out to be innocent, <clears throat> and of those cases, 19% were because of false confessions. Me- immediately, the prosecution objected, and the jury once again left the room for another in camera meeting. Fucking Christ. This continued for the rest of Offshay's testimony, with Stidham's questions being objected to. Jeez, how many, how long was this trial? It was like two weeks. Jesus. So, though Offshay was finally able to get to the point of his testimony, and and to point out what he thought were signs that the interrogation had been coercive, unfortunately, the jury never got to hear it. The jury spent less than a day deliberating. When they returned with a verdict, Jesse was charged with one count of first-degree murder in the death of Michael Moore. He was found guilty of second-degree murder in the deaths of Christopher Byers and Stevie Branch. Jesus Christ. He was sentenced to life without parole with an additional 40 years tacked on for the other two charges. Good Lord. One of the jurors uh, told the commercial appeal after the trial that the allegations of occult ties didn't even factor into their, into their decision. The juror stated that Stidham's argument about coercive confessions had factored into their deliberation, but it was Jesse's claim that he had held Michael Moore that clinched it, stating that that came out of nowhere. In the same interview, the juror stated that he wasn't surprised that Stidham did not put Jesse on the stand, stating that, I think the prosecuting attorney could have torn him apart and made him say anything. Needless to say, the irony of that statement was lost on the juror. What a and that's where we will pick up next time. I, w-
0: I want to be done with this. I'm trying. <laughs> Believe me,
2: I'm trying. That's we've got. What like two more? Three. Three
1: more. We still have Jason and ja- Jason and Damian's trial, and then the uh, the aftermath and the guilters' arguments. Okay. But just keeping in mind that that one of the guilters' arguments is that two juries, they were tried by two juries, and two juries found them guilty. But literally, the juries didn't get to hear anything. They could only go, basically, all they heard was the prosecution side. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh,
2: Stidham deserves a medal, and everybody else
1: deserves redacted. (laughs) So, I will say this, because I'll go ahead and say it. Of the six uh, defense attorneys that... Defended Jason, Damien, and Jason uh, uh-huh. Jesse. Five of them. As soon as the trial was over, they moved on. Uh huh. Dan Stidham continued to fight for Jesse's release. I just said he deserves the medal, and he is now a judge. Oh, <gasps> yeah, really? Mm-hmm. So there's at least one slight happy ending there. That wow. But yeah, pretty much all of Paradise Lost 2. Uh huh focuses on him hiring forensic odontologists and forensic crime scene investigators and everything else trying to exonerate Jesse. He looks like such a nice guy. (laughs) (laughs) He looks so friendly. Mm -hmm. So that wraps up yet another
2: (laughs) look at, look at this
1: man dive into horror.
0: Mm. He
2: looks so friendly.
0: (laughs) He looks like a white guy. Yeah. Who yep. is in? He looks exactly like um, uh, he looks like David Holman.
1: I don't know who that is.
0: He was the attorney for Nassau County, um, and then he died, and now he's got a street named after him. Oh,
2: I. Uh. I worked for him for a while. He was a really good guy. Yep, he's yeah. a state district court judge now. Yay which i mean i i still stand by what we talked about before where people who were lawyers should not be able to become judges but at least based on the work that we have heard here yeah i'm going to remain optimistic about uh
1: how he turned out stidham yeah i'm to say i i'm not 100% certain i'll have to do some more diet deep because the book i've been using doesn't go much further right so um i'll have to do some research on how long or if he continued to to fight for Jesse.
2: Right. Yeah, I would like to hear that next week.
1: But anyways, so to anyone who is our patrons, who we have promised a Satanic Panic shirt, we have placed the order. They are coming. They're on the way to us, and then they'll be on the way to you. Exactly. We're supposed to be getting them two weeks from now. I think tomorrow is the 8th, so two weeks, the 22nd of uh, yeah. May, and we'll,
2: then it, it'll probably be. Uh, how long do you think on delivery time to them? Probably another week or two. It's gonna have to have
1: to make time to go to the post office. Right, so my work schedule because I have to do it on a
2: Saturday. All right, so probably at least another week, week or, or two. two yeah. before but you guys get them. So I
1: swear we have them. They're coming. I placed the order this morning. Yeah,
2: from from the time that you're hearing this, probably about three weeks.
1: Yeah, roughly,
2: yeah. give or take. Be patient so, with us. We I will you.
1: I will post in Patreon, when we receive them, I will post a picture so you know we're not lying to you. <laughs> also, we are going to work on scheduling time where we can do a, an extra record so we can get back on track with having a week ahead of time for anyone who has that benefit.
2: Plus some of that sweet, sweet Patreon bonus content. Yes, that, that demonology we've... course. Yes, yes, all of that. Um, I don't know, fucking... Maybe I'll DM a silly little one-shot with Ruben.
1: Just record it and put it on the fucking be- put it pod there. Yeah. Uh-huh.
2: That's what I'll do with it. Yep. I'll put it on the fucking <laughs> pod there. Yeah. The, the, the,
1: the, the. Excuse me. That is, like, all up in my like, I'd, Jimmy. It, it, uh, literally, being
2: pet and cuddled, not enough for her. She needs to climb inside of your skin. <laughs>
1: All right, guys, so thank you guys for joining us again. I know, I promise we're going to get back to some more lighthearted stuff. Someday. Someday, yes. We'll have a good old serial killer or child rapist.
2: Wouldn't it be so nice to talk about the man who made furniture out of dead bodies right now? God, I would prefer
1: that. Yeah. Yeah, or, you know, hell, let's just go back to Albert Fish. But anyway, I'm not going to draw the line at that one. <laughs> that's going to be... If we don't worry about what happened to, to... I can't remember her name now. Oh my God, I'm horrible. I know her last name was Bud. Uh, Grace, Grace Bud. Grace Bud. Yep. Yeah. It, it, we just skip that and just talk about his weird sexual predilections. Uh, His personal weird sexual predilections, but there was also
2: the, the mentally handicapped individual yeah, 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 that yeah, yeah. uh, he uh, sex tortured for days. Yeah. All right. See, yeah, no, I'll take Gein. I'll take Gein instead. <laughs> I want to talk about big
0: you. evil, like Mengele. <laughs> yeah? Yeah. Wow. It's less personal.
1: Oh, fair. True. Fair.
2: Yeah, to be fair, uh, most of Gein was, uh, like, he didn't, like, torture anybody, no, you know?
1: he was mainly a ghoul.
2: Well, it's he d- he dug up most yeah. of the bodies, yeah. which one of my favorite Ed Gein fun facts is, uh, like, they were looking at this this teeny tiny skinny little old man and he was like, no, no, I didn't kill all those people. I just went and dug them up and made stuff out of their bodies and I covered the graves back up. And they were like, you're a teeny tiny little old man. You did not fucking dig up and then cover a grave and haul a body back to your house in one night. And he was like, oh, yes, I did. Uh, I'll show you. And he did it for them. <laughs> He demonstrated that he was capable of doing
1: it. You know what we need? We just need a ghost story. We need a haunted house story that Ruben can be indignant about. <laughs> I'd appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> well, we may do just like a as a to get us back on the, the just boat. a fucking buffer. Just a buffer episode once we finish. Uh, you this. said three more of this and I shut
0: down. <laughs> <laughs> Like I, I am, I am, I am so ready to be done that if you, you know, had the rest of the script ready right now, I would rather sit through it right
1: now. No, unfortunately, we've caught up to what I had written. Um, although I might be able to to squeeze the last two into one. Do a double record. No, next there's week. no way because we would have to talk about Terry Hobbs, and that's going to take some time. I don't know. Uh, from maybe, from what? maybe, maybe what we'll do is hold off on the OJ episode. And do that kind of later down the road.
0: Maybe we could even, well, nah. You yeah. Know,
1: kind of like a revisit.
0: If we're doing three, I definitely need a palate cleanser.
1: Well, what we can do, well, let's talk about this off the record. Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> we're doing business talk yeah. on mic. People are like, what the fuck? I don't care. That's why everybody <laughs> drops off at the end. Yeah. I'm like, fuck <laughs> it. They're talking <laughs> we, business. We start now.
2: ramble. All right. Oh, my God. So thank
1: you, everybody, so much for listening. Um, I have uh, fuck cancer.
0: Fuck cancer.
2: Fuck cancer.
1: Fuck bitchel.
2: Fuck bitchel. Fuck both bitchels.
1: And fucky and silly. is, And we will see you all next time. So bye. Be good to yourselves.
0: Uh, you know, thanks for coming to our town or whatever.